A new clothing brand has broken all records selling the most identical logo T-shirts in one week. Started by a Muslim clothing company with a grant from the Home Office, the T-shirts with the simple logo, We're Sorry, have been selling in huge quantities. One of the founders of the clothing chain said, It is difficult for normal Muslims to keep up with all the things they have to be sorry about. And sometimes we get caught out. This way, it is like our Remembrance Day poppy. And never forget all the wrong that is committed in our name. Worried that Muslim communities might band together to challenge Home Office policies, the government started to favour certain Muslim-dominated areas in order to create internal divisions. Partitions was the project name for this new policy. Suddenly, Muslims in Walthamstow, East London, were flooded with money and chai shops. Muslims in Tower Hamlets, however, were not. Are you a Muslim on the edge? If you see a Muslim struggling to fit in with life in Britain, then they could be a Muslim on the edge. But help is at hand with a few easy, ready-made solutions. Buy our easily inflatable black dogs and place them at strategic points to get them acclimatised to pets. Dogs prevent extremism. In order to keep Muslim communities on side and prevent them from revolting and becoming too critical of policies that were designed to divide, MPs realised that they had to learn basic etiquette and not accidentally end up ridiculing Muslims. They also realised that their regular experts also needed training up, as they were often just repeating what they told them. Are you a Muslim on the edge? Muslims can be a private lot and tend to stick to themselves. If you see an isolated group of Muslims, enclose them in yourself with bunting. Bunting prevents extremism. Diversity training had proved to be an immense and public failure for the government and the leading institutions of the day. It actually ended up encouraging racism, but with a smile. And so, various alternatives were tried, and perhaps one of the most successful was the game show format. MPs, CEOs, magistrates, anyone who had a degree of power was persuaded to improve themselves in front of a live audience and to the viewers at home. So tell us about the show. It's allow your MP, because Muslims are champions, aren't they? But they're just not understood, and because we love diversity, we love Muslims, all of them, even the ones who might not love us. Right, but why MPs, and what does it mean to halal them? We know some of the recent stories about MPs not really understanding what diversity means, and the innocent gaffes, such as thinking it was okay to break a bottle of champagne against the opening of a new mosque, or white men wearing the hijab in sign of solidarity. So we needed to provide training for them, and we thought, why not make a show of it? I think we can show a clip of the programme now. And welcome to Halal Your MP, the new show that aims to train our politicians to be less hostile and ignorant to Muslim communities, while at the same time having a little fun. So, here are our three MPs today who've all tripped up on the metaphorical prayer mat that is relations with Muslim communities. So, if you'd like to introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm the MP for and I once tried to pray in a mosque with my shoes on because I had holes in my socks. <laughs> Hi, I'm the MP for and I always thought all Muslims married their cousins. Oh, crazy. Hi, I'm the MP for 
And I thought that Muslim communities were more worried about shame and were a private lot. Right, wow. OK, so look, now we're going to present you with a couple of scenarios and let's see how close you can get to the magic halal answer. And remember to end all your answers with... Inshallah. 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 There you go. Right. So, scenario one. A member of your team is Muslim and you accidentally walk in on them in the bathroom and they've got their feet in the sink. What do you think is going on? They have not understood that Muslims like to pray out in the open because they're nearer to God. I mean, Allah. And I caught them sneaking back into the building. <laughs> I don't think that sneaking in is very halal, uh, but let's move on to... Well, Muslims move a lot when they pray, and perhaps this is a stretching exercise? OK, OK, so like a um, holy Muslim yoga or calinethics or something, and... Well, this is our real ways moment, isn't it? Where we help Muslims make their rituals more... What's a word? Like, you know, civilised, like British. How can we make it more British? Well, Muslim prayers? Well, let's start with the ablutions. What do they call them? Hoodoo. Hoodoo? Sorry, sorry, voodoo. How can we make it more British for our dear Muslim friends? Um, I'm not sure that's the correct pronunciation. And when Muslims do their voodoo, do they need to move all of their body parts? I mean, that's not very English. <laughs> OK. We've had a chance to hear from all our MPs, and now it's your turn, the viewer, to vote the most halal MP you think you've heard today. So is it the sneaky MP? Is it our flexible MP? Or is it our voodoo MP? We'll be back after this. Of course, it was soon after this that the year of Islamore began. A strange and unexplained outbreak of love for Muslims gripped the nation, causing pious Muslims to flee from unwanted attention and clammy hugs. Hello, welcome to The Future is Muslim. The podcast that uses a dangerous dose of absurd humour with a side of serious chat to take a closer look at what it means to be Muslim today and in the future. I'm Latifa Akai. And I'm Raheel Mohammed, And this is a Maslaha podcast. We're really excited to have today with us in the studio Alia Al-Zugbi. Um, we have been very blessed to have worked with Alia over the years. She is an award-winning storyteller, producer, actress. She heads up an education organisation in Tar Hamlets and she's on the current Clore Fellowship Programme. Hey, Alia. Hello. Hello, how are um, you? Good, how are you guys? Yeah. Good, 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 good. good. So, Alia, we would have heard your voice in other sketches, but mm -hmm. if I can just start off with the sketch we've just heard. Do you think Muslims are sorry enough? <laughs> I mean, I absolutely <laughs> loved that sketch with the um, "We're sorry" T-shirts. You know, you do you do constantly feel like you have to apologize every time anything goes wrong. You're like, oh God, please don't let it be a Muslim. You know, yeah, it's just it's awful, and I think we all feel that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're sick of apologizing, um, and uh, and I have this T-shirt that I love wearing to protests and to events where I'm expected to behave quote unquote um, and uh, the t-shirt actually says quite in quite large Arabic font and then in tiny English font um, we will not be silent which is the translation of and you can imagine it's this black t-shirt that I've kind of cut up into a very punky look um, with white 
white, huge Arabic writing. And then when you zoom in and see the English, it says, we will not be silent. Um, so, yeah, it kind of shakes stuff up and kind of says, um, no, not apologizing. Yeah. Sorry. So you're the opposite, Alia, basically, of the we're sorry. <laughs> the we're sorry people. <laughs> Absolutely the opposite. I mean, yeah, definitely the opposite. Um, uh, we should be inconvenient, right? Oh, totally. I mean, you know... Uh, I keep sp- speaking about those spaces of um, of discomfort, and I think we need to get a lot more comfortable with these spaces of dif- discomfort, where mm-hmm. where you're expected to behave a certain way or have a certain feeling or apologize for anything. You're actually turning up in a very defiant mode mm-hmm. and kind of saying, oh, "No, actually, mm-hmm. I just am." Yeah. Do, yeah. You, do you think like you've seen that change? Like, are you more troublesome now? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And I think that comes from meeting others and knowing others who are also feeling as defiant and as silenced or or would have felt as silenced and became more defiant as a result. So um, so it's in in clicking onto these other spaces and individuals, um, not just within the Muslim community, within other oppressed communities, um, just kind of hooking onto that and recognizing that actually, you know, this is this is quite big. You know, there's there are so many people who are being uh, whose stories are not being told or or they're not allowed to tell their version of the story. Mm -hmm. And when you feel like you're part of that crowd, you know, you kind of it. it, Yeah, you you get a bit more ballsy, you know. Yeah, Yeah. I think. Yeah, Audrey Lord writes about that mm. really amazingly doesn't she about about transforming silence into language and action in Sisters Outsider and about and about um, yeah the immobilizing effect of silence essentially and of being silenced in that way yeah yeah absolutely I mean and speaking of Audre Lorde as well you know it's um, I keep connecting this defiance as well with an uh, it's like a radical act of self-care because um, really what you're doing is you're ensuring that you're not bottling up inside you. You're, mm. you know, you're allowing stuff to, to come out and uh, uh, you're saying no when you need to. And you're kind of standing up for, mm. for your story when you need to, um, which which is exhausting. Mm. You know, it's exhausting it to is. be sorry, yeah. but it's also exhausting to constantly say, I'm not sorry. It's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. But you're a storyteller, Alia, oh, yeah. an award-winning one. <laughs> um, so when you when you talk about like not being silent or, or forcing ourselves out of silence, but of course, for most people, that isn't in their hands. Do you have anything that you've learned in your kind of like storytelling and your practice, I guess, that you think kind of speaks to that idea of how, e.g. we saw from these like Halal, your MP, like the, against this kind of like wave of like people like just not listening and like not having, not 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 opening that window. Yeah, say. absolutely. And uh, as a storyteller, so one of the one of the things I actively do against that, and again, it's an act of self-care, is that I don't stick to the brief. So for instance, the brief would be, you know, come and tell us a lovely story from the Thousand and One Nights. Mm-hmm. And I will come and tell a story from the Thousand and One Nights, but I'll have twisted it so that it, it Uh, it creates a space of inconvenience and discomfort where the the end is not comfortable, where the end is not happy or where something happens in the middle that's like totally throws um, audiences off. Um, and uh, it's it's kind of a way of owning the narrative and raising the issues um, in a way that says that's there. there's no answer and it, it's not resolvable um, and you can't tame me. 
You know, mm, I'm not tameable yeah, yeah. Uh, and I won't behave as you expect me to. But all, doing it all with a smile on my face and with the best performance I can give you and being as charming as I possibly can, but just not giving you the story you want, mm. you know. In the first episode, we were talking a bit about uh, the, works, the work that we do in the criminal justice system and the fact that 50% of uh, children in prison are black and brown. Mm. And normally that tends to be read out as a, When, when I've when I've seen somebody senior who is white in the criminal justice system read that out, it's almost like a footnote. It's like, oh, and this 50% are, oh, you know, black and brown. And then we move on. You know, it's almost like, and one, that was said once at, in, at an event and the audience was just, you can't just move on. So we're, we're actually going to take over this discussion now. And they became, you know, quite angry. And there is this thing of, sort of roundtables and policy tables and these discussions n not being allowed to be p performative. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. I think and 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 I think it's really interesting also what's happening is that audiences are more informed, definitely more informed. People are more connected and they're not letting stuff go, you know, and where 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 you do reach these knots in the conversation or the story, like that quote you just yeah. shared with us, Rahil, you know, that kind of knot where you're like, but why? Mm. But yeah. why? Yeah. But why? But why? And you're constantly asking the but why, but why, but why? Because none of the answers you're getting are getting deep enough. You know, it's always skitting on the surface. Mm. And it goes back to this. I mean, I hope that's what it is, you know, a kind of uh, awakening um, that has been happening for, for some years now because people are a lot more connected and having these conversations a lot more. Mm. But then yeah. the difficult thing is, is that we are also in our echo chambers a lot. And like what Rahel said, that room held that person to account who said that but often those people aren't in the room yeah. and and in terms of like if this election showed us anything it's that there is a massive disparity between London voting Labour and the rest of the country and we have to ask ourselves those questions we have to ask like what are we we have to learn from each other and not kind of like be patronising but understand okay well what what are we not doing to in the way we organize in the way we work in the ways that we kind of like the ways that we're we have to also accept particular conditions and one of those conditions is a media of mass information mm. um a digital era where mm. we are completely out of our control like mm. sandwiched in particular algorithms and mm. echo chambers and how do we then resist under the conditions where we're under do you mm. know what i mean yeah absolutely yeah. i mean absolutely there is there is an absolute dark side to um, to digital media, absolute mm. dark side. And I completely agree with this idea that we have to come together. So the people that offend us, you know, when, when I'm when I am offended by something someone has said, I need to go towards that offensiveness and I need to move towards it. And I need to sit with that person and go, what is that about? Because actually, if I'm able to sit with that person and not hide behind my screen and kind of be upset all about it and, you know, have these kind of tit for tat mm -hmm. conversations on mm -hmm. social media that are really quite um, vengeful, I think, you know, I, and it's right. Look, it's right to resist. I'm not saying we mustn't resist on social media. Of course, we must resist. But I think something else happens when you sit with people face to face um, and, and you question it. You question it. And there are all sorts of really interesting experiments and examples mm -hmm. about what happens when two people who offend each other sit in the same space and actually have to look each other in the eye and have that conversation. Mm. Something entirely different happens. Yeah. And I also just on that note as well about not being patronizing and not uh, not kind of coming at it from from a place of uh, feeling um, uh, completely disenfranchised. 
I do feel that we have to connect because although our oppression might not come from the same place, I believe that there are people who I completely disagree with or who might not want me in this country who are oppressed. Mm. And I think we need to connect over this oppression. And I will always believe that. And I will always have hope that if we are able to connect over our oppression, mm. we we I have I will want to connect with that person over. Mm. I will want that. You yeah. Know? And that will help us overcome. Yeah, yeah. dreamer, old old school Marxist. Yeah. but you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I it's mean, it's the lesbians and gays support the minors kind of setup of like showing up for people for for our you know being the right kind of allies that we all need to be in different ways. Mm. And like sometimes we need to have those conversations and we need to be allies to have those conversations for other people. Mm. And um, and I think that's important as well, working out that balance because there's many people who, for so many legit reasons, would not be up for having these conversations and using their bodies for battlegrounds and mm-hmm. yeah and 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 yeah and you would understand that you mm-hmm. know as you say using mm-hmm. their bodies for mm-hmm. um battlegrounds as well because it is a very physical yeah. experience isn't it it's very yeah. kinesthetic like you feel it you feel the exhaustion and absolutely in connecting with with others who yeah i mean to use that word again this uh, the the oppression is shared it might not be the same oppression but it's so important to recognize that a lot of anger comes from pain Mm-hmm. You know, and I do. I think this country is in pain. I think there's a, a huge swathe of people who are in pain, um, and uh, and if we're able to connect over that, we can. You know, we we can we can. I think I I, I see I see a way through. So I wonder what do you what do you think of the so the, the form that we're using now, which is I mean this is partly why we've been absurd. Yeah, absurd surrealism, and part of everything that Maslaha has been about is not being simplified. And like this constant movement to find a different way to cut through the white noise that surrounds yeah. not just Muslim communities, but all marginalized communities. There's this Frank Commode quote about simple fictions are the opium of the people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's partly why we're we're doing this. It's like Can we you don't... unpick that up a little bit? Simple the opium fictions. of people. Am I being slow? Is it yeah? <laughs> no, I guess it's it's partly so a very tangible example I would give would be um, the, you know, the and I go on about this, is the acronym BAME. Mm. So Black Asian Minority Ethnic, mm. for those who don't know. And for me, that is really about tidying up black and brown people and not understanding the granularity that exists within different communities. And I think the more removed you are from those communities, the more generalizations that you will make. You know, if you have your hands in the soil, then you will understand the messiness and the complexities that exist. Unfortunately, those who have power tend to be the ones who are who are further away. And so I'm what we're concerned about is how do we ensure that those complex stories remain complex, whoever we're talking to. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And that people still listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's hard. Mm. That's the thing that's that's yeah. really hard. It is hard. Yeah. And I think that's what you guys do really well with these with these sketches and with other work that you do is that it's not like you're saying we have the answer, you know, you're like we have loads of questions and here they are. Yeah. yeah. Brain dump, you know. Yeah. And I think that's the way it is, you know. I don't think we have the answer. We're all grappling, but we're try we're you go into yeah, you go into these surreal uncomfortable um spaces. And I think that's where I think what happens when people are uncomfortable is that, um is there's a resistance, but 
this is where the interesting stuff starts to happen. Mm. You know, this is where stuff awakens. You know, it's in this like liminal space between I, I really don't like this, but I really need to think about it. Oh, this is really, oh, I can't believe they said that. You know, so the, that conversation, once it's happening, that's where the, um, yeah, the interesting stuff yeah. starts to come out. Yeah. But it's interesting because like, so Rahel, you wrote these scripts and then, um, but a lot of it, and it's and it is absurd. But a lot of it is also like complete reality right now, yeah. or it's stuff that's actually happened. So, in this one, you bring on you bring in the inflatable black doll. <laughs> and yeah. when I first read that, I was like, "Whoa, is it just are we are we going into the the trope that Muslims hate dogs, which we'll not we'll not talk about whether or not that's real." Um, but like Muslims obviously love dogs. But like, yeah. but can you tell us why? Like, what was where did that come from? Yeah. So um, years ago, we produced a resource around depression and anxiety called talking from the heart and it's still it's still up up and running um and it was commissioned by a bunch of gps used using the nhs we even won an award for it um, and the way that we worked was we went into communities we worked with families we worked with therapists doctors imams somali musicians a real range of people we created films that were online that were scripted by the people who were affected by this and one day I was walking through a park in Tower Hamlets and I saw some people putting up a statue of a black dog and there was a photograph of Joanna Lumley and they were about to stick on a photograph of Stephen Fry and I was like, oh, what's, you know, what, what, what's this about? And they were saying, and they were from a mental health charity and Winston Churchill used to describe his depression as the black dog. Oh, yes. And so Stephen Fry and Joanna Lumley, you know, were... I guess, you know, supporters of the campaign. So they had put this black dog in a highly uh, dense, you know, Bengali area in a, in a park with a photograph of Stephen Fry and Joanna Lumley because they thought it might mean more more of the local community, Bengali community might take up talking therapies. And I was like, did you, did you talk to anyone who was brown, <laughs> like in your organisation? And they said, yeah, there were, I mean, there was this one guy, but we didn't, we just didn't talk to him. And it, I mean, it sounds so absurd that they would think that could possibly work. I mean, another example, I remember. It's so worrying. I think almost like so pausing worrying. at that point. Like it's just, if is that is that, a, is that an action? Who sat down and had a conversation and been like, oh, we'll put up this black dog. It's it's really heartbreaking. I mean, actually, I think Stephen Fry. really need yeah. support and help. I mean, mm. are Stephen Fry and Joanna Lumley sort of like really famous in the Bengali community? Mm. Are they like... Are they, at, you know, in photographs? I don't know. But it's, I mean, the charity sector is really white. So only 4% of charity CEOs are are brown or black. 99% of foundation trustees are white. Yeah. says a lot, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, so I work in what's called the development education sector, um, uh, and which has also developed into other ideas like global learning, terminology. Uh, it's Yeah, so, so it's the idea of bringing global issues into a local sphere. Uh, and of course, the whole sector that I work with is white. It's a white sector, mm. white sector reflecting on global issues. Um, and and yeah, there is there is something um, yeah quite quite sad about that. We clearly don't feel like we should be talking about global issues. You know, all these BAME communities don't talk about global. They don't care about the world. You know, I mean, yeah, we don't care. We don't care. Um, of course, I mean, of course we do. But it's also, you know, it's it's so much of it is also about opening opening those structures and opening up those spaces mm. as well, because there are barriers that are invisible. I, I there is a there is a metaphor I use, and um, 
my husband's going to hate me for saying this, but my husband snores. Mm. And um, and Can he share snores. anything here, Alex? <laughs> I'm, yeah, yeah, no one else will yeah. know yeah. beyond these four walls. Um, and he snores. And of course, he doesn't know that he's snoring. I'm the one who's suffering. He is the oppressor <laughs> and I am the oppressed. The oppressor don't know come to the wrong that room. they're st- snoring, you know, and and that's the thing, like structures need to open up. They need to open. They're snoring, you know, and, and we are suffering from their snoring. We're like, we, your snoring is killing us. I mean, but because they're the ones who are snoring, they don't even know it. I love it. It's, it's a great metaphor. It's a great metaphor. <laughs> we should just shut that anytime this happens. Stop snoring. You're snoring. Yeah. 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 You don't know made you up. are. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Can I ask you a question? Mm. Okay, so because we have to talk about BAME communities or people of color, what is the terminology that we should be? I mean, I go around in circle. I'm like a, I'm like a cat chasing its tail when it comes to this. Because I'm like, I would love to reach a point where we don't even need to use this terminology. It's like we're just people. But there is the fact that, you know, certain people who look a certain way or have certain beliefs need to be we need to champion their cause so we need to speak about them in a certain way i guess i think the most important thing is like listening to people to what people are actually saying about how they want to be what language they want to use to mm-hmm. refer to themselves and also i think it depends on <clears throat> if i think about um like again our criminal justice work you know so if you're a black man you're nine times more likely to be stopped and searched by police and i think it's important in those circumstances to be really specific there's a particular community mm-hmm. that is being discriminated against i've been in a few discussions with different ministers and the, you know different secretaries of state and you tend to be the one person of color around mm. that table and there will be a conversation about women in prison but nobody else will bring up the fact that there's a disproportionate number of black women in mm. prison and the reasons for that are completely different and i think Those are the times when you when you should be specific. Mm. Um, David Lammy, in his uh, report where he looked at the treatment of, um, and it was the treatment of, as he described it, BAME communities in prison, you know, he was saying that there's a finding that within drug offences, the odds of receiving a prison sentence were around 240% higher for BAME offenders. I mean, that's just down to... Mm. discrimination and I think that's when we need to kind of dig down because there are there are specifics Mm. specific groups and that kind of makes me think a little bit I guess going back to the sketch when you you kind of bring up the like innocent gaff so you talk about the um people thinking it was okay to break a bottle of champagne against the opening of a new mosque um, which I wonder has that happened probably <laughs> um, but um, but yeah and then I guess in this context that we're in now where there is a lot of politicians making comments like we've had a plethora this year yeah, alone yeah, yeah, um, and yeah. I think you reference like funny tinge in another yeah. mm. because then you do get language around that where it's kind of like people are like oh it's just like a, just a slip of the tongue it's just mm. a gaff and these people are being held up in such a way but and of course people can apologise people can learn people can move mm. on but it's also like under, it's also interrogating some of the hypocrisy in those events so with Angela Smith in that case she just left in the Labour Party because she said it was so irrevocably racist mm. and then she came out with that and it's kind of yeah. like oh okay I mean the other thing that I've found Ali and I don't know if you like this like fits in with your work but when we've been trying to explain so for instance with like the massive increase in, in Muslims in prison like they've doubled over the past sort of 15 16 years 
just talking about data doesn't seem to stick with people mm -hmm. in, you know, whether it's ministers or the civil servant. And so there's a story that I've used that was, the, you know, was the first instance of the minister going, oh, OK. And it was a story about a, a clock. And it's in this report that hopefully should be out within when this airs called uh, Time to End the Silence. And so we were talking to a former prison officer. And when she became a prison officer, she had no training on cultural and religious needs um, of anyone. And so she's working in this prison and she's looking after 80 men. And she discovers, as she's doing this, that Muslims pray, that there's a book called the Quran that you're supposed to treat with respect. And she also finds out about what happens during like Ramadan. So she didn't know that, you know, the fasting starts at a particular time in the morning and finishes at a particular time in the evening. And in this particular prison, the Muslim prisoners didn't have access to clocks. So they relied on her to wake them up. Mm. So that's how they mm. knew when to start mm. the fast and when to end it. Mm. She went to the other prison officers and said, you know, do you do you do that? Do you, do you wake them up as well? And the other prison officers said, no, we don't, because we just don't think they'll keep their fasts. Mm. And so it's a massive... Oh. That story, like, but that's, I haven't heard that's that story before. To him, yeah, yeah. 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 And I think you're really hitting the nail on the head here with this idea of data versus stories. Look, look at the example of climate change, right? We've got all the data. Are people changing uh -huh. their behavior? No, they're not. I mean, that's another bane for me, you know, like, oh, yeah. Muslims don't care about climate, you know, and you're like, oh, God. You know, let's not even go yeah, there. The reality you know, of the apocalypse uh, right now. I <laughs> know, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Anyway, um, stay on topic, Alia. And um, but it's you know, it's this idea climate that change is relevant. If you, yeah, if you oh, yes, climate change. Is of, no, climate change is relevant, and we there there are loads of us who who care a lot and who are doing a lot, uh, by the way, about it. But um, but it's to say that data doesn't come through you know you need stories like the mm. one you just told Rahil it's so important you know and and I think it's because our brains are made up in such a way that the way we make sense of the world is through stories we are storytellers you know you every single one of us this is ever since 30,000 years ago we started drawing um, images of mm. hunting and caves you know the spirit needs to hear a story you know mm. and I'm not talking about it in a religious sense I'm yeah. just talking about that we all have something we, just a little example which is you can't can you wait, question can you think without feeling hmm. can you think without feeling when you're giving me data you're expecting me to think that's what you're touching mm. you know when you give me a story you're getting me to think and to feel so you're you're catching me where I need to be mm. you're catching yeah. you're catching me at that intersection of thought and feeling which is the way, where we are we don't think without feeling mm. that's a beautiful way of putting it yeah, yeah. <laughs> So Alia, in this sketch here that we've listened to, we've heard a, a version of an absurd, as we've discussed, also kind of a reality, but also allegedly a future. What would you imagine as a kind of like Muslim future, as a future is Muslim? Well, it would be quite hip, wouldn't it? Because you'd have all these bearded, cool looking men walking around. You know, you'd have these women with scarves on. Where they might choose to wear this really beautiful silk. Doris Day would be rolling in her grave. Nuns wouldn't know what to do with themselves because everyone else looks just, you know, they're looking. Anyway, yeah, that's it. It would be awful, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> yeah. Thank, Thank you, you Ali. It's been lovely. Thanks for having me. 